you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> it has been some 12 weeks since uh, I've been had the privilege. So, <clears throat> as I was saying before I was so recently interrupted, please turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Now we know that the Bible teaches that all scripture is inspired. And you cannot have one bit that's more inspired than the other. Inspiration doesn't work that way. It's all inspired. And But yet, as you pan through the gold mine of God's word, sometimes you get the feeling that you've hit the mother load. And Luke chapter 15 is one of those. The jewels are spread so thickly and the gold of scripture strewn so much that this is a very special chapter. So we'll be looking and spending some time in Luke chapter 15. It is an intriguing passage and one that bears much fruit upon investigation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing as we open your word today. Teach us, we pray. Instruct us in the things you would have us to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 15.1 There's a saying which I will pass on to you, and I thought it's rather uh, instructive, concerning parables. And this person said, the key to a parable is usually hung at the front door. So you have a look at a parable, look what it starts with, look how it starts off, and you will usually find the explanation to it. Luke 15, 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now, I I realise it may be a a bit of an, an effort, but... Try hard and cast your mind all the way back to the last message that I I spoke on from the Gospel of Luke, which was from Luke 14. Luke 14 concerns the need to count the cost of being a disciple. It virtually warns people and says, don't get involved in being a disciple of Christ unless you're willing to pay the cost unless you're prepared to look at it carefully and rationally and say, I'm willing to do this. Now, as a result of virtually being told, don't get into this thing unless you're prepared for it, these people decide to come and listen. And who are they? They are the publicans and sinners. Now, publicans, remember, in in this time, were not people who ran hotels. Publicans, in this time, were tax collectors. Now, the two things that most people despise in this world are crooks and public servants. And these were both. So, the rest were sinners just in a general term. But they had gathered, why? For to hear him. They were coming 
to listen and to follow because what he had said had reached them and touched them. And the scribes and, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And if you like alliteration, there's P's and S's here. There's publicans and sinners, there's Pharisees and scribes, and there's parrot. And there's parables and symbols. So, you know, I, I don't know, make of that what you will, but it, it was, just was interesting. The Pharisees and the scribes. What was the difference? The publicans and the sinners were drawing near to listen. The Pharisees and the scribes were drawing near to murmur and to mutter and to mumble. They came with entirely different objectives and agendas. Now notice what the, these people said. The Pharisees and the scribes murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners. Now, the first thing they say is, this man, this one, not, he's not like us. We don't allow ourselves to associate with this low life sinners and rabble that are around here. We might get contaminated by them. Some time ago, when I was at work, <coughs> I received a call that someone had been injured. And when you get that, and you're a first aid, you drop whatever you're doing, you take off. And a lady had fallen down a flight of stairs and was almost in a fetal position on the stair landing, having, having hit her head probably several times on the way down. And there was blood. Now, what I was supposed to do was stop, glove up, get a mask, because there was a danger I could get contaminated. But I ignored all that teaching and went in straight in to make sure she was still breathing and then worried about it. Now, yes, I broke some rules of uh, first aid, but the important thing, there was a person who needed my help. And the delay to go and get some gloves and go and find a mask could have been fatal. Now, these Pharisees are like people who say, well, there, there's someone who's dying, but hang on, I, I need to gown up first. They say there's a danger that we might get contaminated by these people's sins. Now, while in the physical, there are good rules for gloving and gowning before you deal with blood and body fluids, and I do understand that. You know something? It doesn't happen in the spiritual. I would, would suggest that you ask the brethren, I will use that term reasonably loosely, who are amongst the, those who like the Salvation Army, who spend their time with the, the Pharisee, with, sorry, with the, the, the publicans and the sinners of this world, ask them how many of their people have ever been corrupted by the sins that they see and have to deal with. And I'll tell you none. 
because it doesn't work that way. But all these Pharisees were so worried that they might be contaminated by these people that they said, this man, he associates with lowlifes and riffraffs. And we wouldn't do that. Then they said, this man, this man, oh, don't forget, he's just a man. Now, it was this man who, in the start of chapter 14, healed people from diseases in front of their eyes, but they insisted, no, 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 he's not from God, he's just a man. Just a man. And he receives sinners. Not only that, he eats with them. Oh, he eats with them. He eats with sinners. Now, clearly, Pharisees were not Baptists because Baptists really do not care who they eat with. They will eat with anyone. But there was this division here. The publicans and sinners had drawn near to listen to Christ, but the Pharisees and scribes had come together to condemn Christ. Different agenda. And he spake this parable unto them. Okay, now we're getting, getting interesting stuff here. Parable. He spake this parable. But are there not three parables? There are three stories. But I put it to you that this is, this is one parable. Now what does, a, what does parable mean? Parable literally means to throw one thing next to something else. That's literally what the word means. To toss something alongside for the purpose of comparison or illustration. To put one thing beside another to illustrate it. And this is one parable in three sections. Now it's a bit like, now you know I love, I love paintings. You go down the National Gallery and there's a McCubbin there and it's got three panels and it's the same scene painted at different times. One is, is, the, is the picture of a settler arriving at a spot. The, the next is him building a, a house with his wife and child there and the third is a person discovering an overgrown grave. But when you look at the background, you realise you're looking at the same thing, just in three different time frames. This is sort of what we've got here. We're looking at the, th the same thing from three different points of view. <coughs> it's like the three sides of a, of a pyramid. All right? It's the same pyramid. You're just looking at it from different sides. It's like three sides of a triangle. It's like three legs on a stool. It's the same thing. They're all supporting and, and su helping each other to get the whole thing to work. So I put it to you, this is one parable with three stories. Now, he spake this parable unto them. Now we got a, an English lesson last week on pronouns. He spake this parable unto them. So who's the, the, who's the them? 
world? Was he speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees because they're the closest people? Or was he speaking to the publicans and sinners who were actually listening? The answer is yes. He was speaking to both of them. And there are two things to, to remember here, several things to, to consider here. And I'll, I'll, I'll lend this in for those of you who have to ever do children's stories. One of the things I will do when I speak to children, if they're in a group like this, and I'm asked to, to speak to the children, is I will tell the adults, I'm letting in a secret here, but I'll tell the adults, this, isn't, this has got nothing to do with you. This is for the kids. You know? Chat amongst yourself. Ignore what I'm saying because this is for the kids. Do you know what the result of that is? You have the undivided attention of every single adult. Because they're inquisitive little people who want to know what someone else is going to be told. So saying to the... To the Addressing this parable to the scribes and Pharisees guaranteed that every single other person would listen in on it and hear it. Secondly, there is a principle here that God addresses his messages to those who will listen. Notice the last verse of chapter 14 finishes with the admonition, let those who have ears to hear, let him hear. And then we have coming up the scribes and the Pharisees who will not listen and the publicans and sinners who will listen. So yes, this message was to those who will have ears and will listen. No matter who he was speaking to. Now I want to just diverge for a moment and to speak a little bit on heavenly mathematics. Okay. The first, par first story, the first section here, deals with a lost sheep. There were a hundred sheep and one was lost. That is a loss rate of 1%. The second story deals with a lost coin. There were 10 coins originally. That is a loss rate of... 10%. The third story deals with a man who had two sons and one who went away and became lost. That is a loss rate of 50%. But the reaction is the same. There is no more nor less rejoicing over the finding of the coin than there is over the finding of the sheep. Yet the coin was one of ten and the sheep was one of a hundred. God loves and cares and searches and waits the same for each person as if you were only the only one of two. Consider that. And that the other one was already safe at home. The father in, the, in the, the final story had one lost son. 
God cares for each individual lost person as if they were the only one. An infinite God has an infinite capacity to love and sorrow over the lost. There was a program I, I, I watched dealing with the concept of infinity. And if you really want to do your head in, you should you know, have a look at the mathematical concept of infinity and things that some infinities are bigger than others and things like that. It's, but an infinite God has an infinite capacity to sorrow and care over those that are lost. If there's one lost person, or two, or three, or four, or a million, God cares over each individual one the same. It doesn't get less as the number of people gets more. When there, were but, when there was but one lost person who, who went away from the presence of God after killing his brother, God cared for him and sorrowed over his lost estate just as much as he does over every individual of the millions that are lost today. It is one of the things we do not consider so much about the, in, the infinite nature of God is the infinite capacity to sorrow over the lost. Brethren, God cares for you like you are the only one. The lost sheep. What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them? Sheep. <coughs> Many years ago, I learned how to do bookkeeping for farms. And that was interesting, and I had forgotten much of it. Much of it I endeavoured to forget. Uh, but one of the things I remembered was a stock book. If you've ever dealt with a stock book, this is not a stock book like in most accounting. This is a book that's concerned with stock. Right? And you would have uh, the, the flock stock book. And there would be stock on hand at the start. Then there would be natural increase, which was kind of tough in a flock of weathers, but we tried. Then there would be you know, deaths, there would be what's been sold, uh, what's been eaten as rations, you know, what's been bought, there would be stock on hand at the end. Now these were all supposed to balance, but there was a little column at the side of it that was marked LSS. And that stood for lost, stolen or strayed. Because no matter how carefully you checked everything, at the end, there were some sheep you couldn't account for. They were there at the start, or you'd bought them in, and no matter how carefully you checked, you couldn't find where these had gone. And so they were put down as lost, stolen, 
or strayed. I put it to you that God has no lost, stolen or strayed column in the Lamb's book of life. There are no unaccounted for people under God's handling. There are none, there are none that he doesn't know what happened to that one. <coughs> God keeps track of his people and his sheep. Sheep. It's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? People are described as sheep. The, mo- the two most important characters in, in, in really in Israel's history, Moses and David, were both shepherds. In Psalm 20, 23 verse 1, it commences, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, if the Lord is your shepherd, that makes you the sheep. In 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 1, the prophet says that he saw Israel smitten and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. In 2 Samuel 24 verse 17, God speaks of the people of Israel that he was king over saying, what have these sheep done? So the, the reference to people in Israel as sheep and who, of course, amongst these scribes and Pharisees would be able to say they did not know Isaiah 53, 6, saying, all we like sheep have gone astray. So the picture of, of God's children, God's people as sheep, was woven through the whole of the Old Testament. What man of you having an hundred sheep if he lose one? What shepherd? For Jesus himself in John chapter 10 verse 11 will say later on, I am the good shepherd. So there's no real problem in identifying who's who here. The shepherd here is Christ. No problem about identifying that. And the sheep are people. Having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness. Now, when I first looked at this, I I thought to myself, you you know, it it may be great theology, but it's lousy shepherding to leave 90 and 9 and go and look for one. What about the 90 and 9? Understand this. How did he know that there was one missing? I defy you. We get a get hundred sheep in the corner here. I defy you if we take one out for you to be able to come and go, oh, hang on, there's only 99 there. You can't do it. No shepherd can. No shepherd can look at a hundred sheep and go, oh, yep, he's missing. There's only 99. So how did he know there was a sheep missing? Because when the sheep came in at the end of the day, when the shepherd brought them in, he brought them into the fold. (coughs) Now the fold was at the very least made out of thorn branches 
and usually made out of stone, sometimes a bit of both, stone topped with thorn branches. And the sheep would be counted in. And he's gone, 98, 97, 98, 99. Ah, we're missing one. So it was only when the sheep were, the other 99 were safe that he realised there was one missing and went to go and look for it. In fact, usually these folds, and it says in the wilderness. Please remember that wilderness simply in, in Palestinian concept was grazing land as distinct from farming land. The, the the area where you could grow crops was considered settled and civilised. The area where it was too stony, too rocky, too dry to grow crops and you simply grazed sheep there was variously called the wilderness, the hills, the mountains, the, the desert. But we would think of it as grazing land. Okay? These folds were built usually communally by a group of shepherds. They would build them and they would use them. And after they grazed the area there, they'd all head off to another area where there'd be another sheepfold. And the shepherds would maintain them and keep them up. So it's quite possible that in their concept, there was a whole, you know, three or four sheep flocks were coming in. And the shepherd would say, say you know, guys, keep an eye on mine. I'm off to find the lost one. And he headed off. So the, the 99 were safe, but he left them. He didn't say, oh, I've got 99. According to Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. But according to God, 99 out of 100 ain't good enough. It's not good. 99 out of 100 isn't good enough. And so he went looking for the one that was lost. Now notice how he looks. He go after that which is lost until he find it. How long does God seek after the lost? Until he find them. How long is that? As long as it takes. If you're interested in, in poetry, I would recommend hunt up and read a poem called The Hound of Heaven. It's written by a man who came to realise after many, many years that God pursued him through the years and the days and the months of his life, hunting him down like a hound on his trail till he find him. It's an interesting picture. You imagine that God chasing someone. But that's what he said what it felt like. God searches till he finds it. It's interesting, you know. If the story of the lost son will appeal to Arminians, this parable is thoroughly Calvinistic. For the shepherd hunts till he finds it. Till the shepherd finds the sheep. 
Now, why was the sheep lost? Why did the sheep get lost? It was lost because it is in the nature of a sheep to stray. I speak from bitter experience. If there is a hole in a fence, a sheep will find it. If there is a blackberry thicket, a sheep will get stuck in it. If there is a hole in the ground, a sheep will fall into it. If there is a bundle of wire somewhere, a sheep will get tangled in it. If there is one savage dog in the neighbourhood, a sheep will find it. It is the nature of sheep to get lost and to stray. It is the nature of humanity to be lost and to stray from God. If there is a sin to be done, a person will find it. If there is a vice to fall into, somebody will discover it. If there's a mess to get into, some soul will have found it. Because it is the nature of humanity to stray and be lost from God. Never ever be surprised at sinners sinning. Sinners sin because they're sinners. And they will do it. We will do it because it's our nature. We are just so prone to this uh, behaviour and, and sheep are lost because it's their nature to stray. And souls are lost because it's their nature to sin. And aside on this, and I'll, I'll put this to you just for interest's sake. There are in many places what are called feral animals. They are domestic animals which have gone wild. Okay? There are, there are feral dogs, feral cats. There are feral cattle, horses, goats, pigs. There, are, there is even, so I've heard, on an island up near... Uh, in, in it, near Queensland, feral chooks. Okay? There is no such thing as feral sheep. You ever thought about that? There are no feral sheep. Now, why is that? Because sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. A sheep after a year or two, perhaps with good fortune, will die. Sheep cannot exist without shepherds. A sheep without a shepherd is doomed. A sheep without a shepherd has no hope. A sheep without a shepherd has no prospect of surviving on its own. A sinner without God is doomed. A sinner without the, the good shepherd has no prospect of surviving on their own in eternity. Sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. Now, did the sheep know it was lost? Do sheep know that they're lost? This again is interesting when you compare it with the other lost things in, the, in, the, uh, in these stories. Certainly the son knew he was lost. And certainly the coin did not. 
Did the sheep know it was lost? Well, the, the sheep certainly knew it was unhappy. The sheep certainly knew it was in trouble. And the sheep certainly was not satisfied where it was. So why didn't it go back? Why didn't the sheep go back? Because the sheep was frightened, it was scared, and it didn't know how to go home. There are sinners out here who are frightened, scared, they know something's wrong, they know they're in trouble, but they do not know how to get back. They do not know how to find God. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, By grace are ye saved through faith. Yeah? But remember it also says, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even the faith to get saved is a gift from God. That's what grace is about. The sheep had no way of getting home, no way of getting back, and no future out in the wilderness. So what part did the sheep play in its own rescue? None. It just let the shepherd find it and save it. That was the part the sheep played. And notice, please, the shepherd didn't kick the sheep home. He carried it home. Now, I, I admit this is something that I may well have failed in, in Shepherding 101. If I had gone out and found some sheep after all this effort and all this time, I can tell you where my size 9 sandal probably would have been planted. That sheep would have been, would have been hoisted along home very thoroughly and very frequently. Because, But that's why I'm not a good shepherd. No, he picked up the sheep and laid it on his, sho his shoulders rejoicing. Why? Why don't he just haul it out and say, okay, off you go. No, I'll, I'll nudge you along, just make sure you're going the right direction. Because he would not risk that the sheep would get lost again. The sheep could not find its way home. The sheep did not have enough strength to get its home. And he carried it home lest it get lost again. Oh, this is a very Calvinistic parable. I make no bones about it. For God searched for me. God found me and God will carry me home to glory on his shoulders lest perchance I should get lost again. And he'll do it for you. Why? Because I do not have the wit, the wisdom or the strength to get home on my own. And he will do it for me. So what could the sheep do? 
There is but one thing the sheep could do. You may have, I don't know if you've thought about this. There is one thing only the sheep could do. Bah. Yeah, that was the one thing the sheep could do to help the shepherd was let it know where it was. To call out. What, did the, what could the sheep do? Could call out, hey, I'm over here and I'm in trouble. What does God want the sinner to do? To call out, hey, I'm over here and I'm in trouble. For it is written in Romans chapter 10 verse 13, for, all, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out. That's what the sheep can do. If you are a sheep in trouble right now, all God wants you to do is call out. And if the best you can do is, Lord, I'm over here and I'm in trouble, that'll do for a start. He, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice for me, with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Whose sheep was it? It was his. It was his when it was in the fold. It was his when it was out on the wilderness. It was his when it was on his shoulders. And it was his when he brought it home. It was his sheep. And nothing anyone could do would stop it being his sheep. What did the friends and neighbours do? They rejoiced. There's a lot of rejoicing in this, this parable. The shepherd rejoiced. The friends and neighbours rejoiced. Even the sheep rejoiced. In a sheepish sort of way. There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. You want to make God happy? Thought about that? You ever wanted to make God happy? We, we think of honouring God and worshipping God. We ever thought about making God happy? Someone getting saved makes God happy. The shepherd rejoices. The angels in heaven rejoice. And hopefully, we sheep rejoice too. So what's the part that we have here? Here's a question for you. The sheep were either in the fall, they were in the wilderness. They were either in the care of the shepherd or they were lost. I put it to you that you are in either one of two positions right now. 
You are either in the fold or you're in the wilderness. You're either in the care of the shepherd or you're lost. There is no halfway state for the sheep. The sheep was either in the flock or it was lost. The sheep was either with the shepherd or it was alone. The sheep was either in the wilderness or it was in the, in the fold. You can't be halfway. A sheep cannot be almost lost. Where are you today? Are you in the fold or are you in the wilderness? Are you in the care of the shepherd or are you out on the mountains lost? There are only these two, these two possibilities. If you are in the fold, then rejoice. It's a great place to be. If you are out in the wilderness, then call out, Lord, I'm over here and I'm in trouble. And the shepherd will find you. This is a parable of things that are lost. There will be three parables, three stories, three segments of things that are lost. This one focuses on the sheep and the shepherd. The one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Has he found you? Or are you still running away from him? Rest assured there is no safe place other than the fold and the care of the shepherd for a sheep. And if you're having trouble even calling out to the shepherd, talk to myself, talk to Pastor Frank, talk to somebody today and we'll get you in touch with the shepherd and get you into the fold. Thank you.